2: Hello and welcome to the Switzer Money Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. Hi, Paul. Good afternoon, Peter. And this is a program, of course, as you know, Paul where we have a simple goal to make you smarter, richer, and more successful. And on today's show, we talk to the founder of listed property company, Centuria. His name is John McBain. Then we'll look uh, at um, the performance of the residential housing market with Century 21's founder, Charles Tarby. The spring is coming, Paul, isn't it? And spring is often good for for house sales.
3: Yeah, normally we get a bit of a sort of a boom in the market Mm. in spring. Lots of people get their property onto the market and Mm. buyers come out with the spring sunshine in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. And sometimes that's good for the market. So it'd be interesting to see whether, as we get to the end of August and move into spring, we're seeing any pickup there.
2: And if the house prices don't go up and they go down, there could be a lot of anger around. And so we've got Dr. Ross Walker talking about anger management and how it can affect not only your health, But
3: your wealth. So you've got all bases covered today, Peter, on The Switzer Show. I'm really looking forward to John McBain because Centuria has been a fantastic success story. You're going to talk a bit about some of their unlisted property funds, ways that you can invest in commercial property market with a really experienced manager like Centuria. I know I've done it and Mm, uh, had some really great outcomes
2: there. Yeah, you're the first one to open my eyes to those sorts of investments. And uh, from what we've seen over the last five years, they do it pretty well. So that's the show for today. We'll kick off uh, straight away with John McBain. John McBain from Centuria, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Look, you know, I have full intention to talk to you about you know, what the company's doing now and what's doing in the future, and I want to explain to people what you guys do. But then I realised that when you reflect upon the Centurion story, it is ultimately the story of a Kiwi like you coming across here and bringing on another young Kiwi and Jason Hewlett. And together you've you've really created a business success story, which I don't know if it's ever been told before, has it? No, no, we... Uh...
1: We don't think ourselves as kiwis. We we're uh, over here to help.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so only a kiwi would say something like that, John. So, so in a just nice just, way. <laughs> just just in a nutshell, tell us when you came over, when you got the idea to create Centuria, and how, you know how long ago was it that the 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 dream was conceived?
1: Well, about twenty years ago, we started uh, just simply. Property consulting, and we would fix problems for developments or you know buildings that had gone off the tracks, and and probably about 15 years ago we got the idea that perhaps you know some of the, we found opportunities that we couldn't afford to invest in ourselves, and we started um, getting some of the some of the uh, some other investors to invest alongside us, and it's really taken us from there, Peter. And now it's got quite you know it's quite large. It's, about four billion dollars worth of investors but the the, the 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 strength of it is most of these investors are either mum and dad investors or boutique you know financial planning businesses which have um you know uh, you know a, a, a reasonable number of mums and dads supporting it certainly on the unlisted property funds we do that's the case and and you know, we're very proud, you know, we've had some great returns. We we also have those two listed uh, investment trusts and, 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 and they operate, you know, they, they, they've got separate share market listings and they own property in their own right. So we have an option. We really have two sets of options for people.
3: John, you mentioned unlisted property funds. Perhaps you could just explain for the audience this uh, how they work and how do they differ from a listed property fund?
1: Yes, so the unlisted ones is generally, generally we we, we select one or two assets that we think have opportunities for good returns, or, or and or capital growth. We certainly want both, um, and, and then we we offer we we offer uh, units in a unit trust which just owns that property and has a certain life. And that could be five or seven years. During that time, we manage the property and we uh, make the returns to the investors um, so that, that investors, our investors generally expect two sorts of returns, um, a quarterly or monthly return, um, um, and, and they range from 7 to 9%, depending on which particular project it is, uh, annualised. Um, and then we really try to make a capital gain. So we're trying to buy properties we're at the end of the of the of the day. You know, we've managed to rise rents and sell the building for a lot more than we bought it for.
2: Yeah. Now, the first time I came across you, Paul Paul Rickard, who's obviously interviewing you as well <laughs> with me, he he looked at the property you had at Everly which um, in Sydney, which was basically two big tenants: it was a government department and Channel Seven. So tell us, I think that's when I first realised what you guys are up to and how it sort hmm. of made a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, well, that was an interesting property. It was, you know, uh, a property in, in, in Redfern where, you know, Channel 7 had developed um, their head office on a, on a uh, quite a large site. It was the Australian Technology Park site, a, a site that had been sponsored by the government, but no one had actually gone there. Hmm. So it was a bit of a dust bowl. And when the opportunity came to buy the investment, not many people were interested in it. To us, we just saw a fantastic opportunity—you know, a long lease to a major Australian company, a listed company, Uh, one train stop from uh, central—and it didn't didn't worry us. No one else liked it. So, and 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 as as you're probably aware, that investment's gone on to not only have a very good. a regular return to investors, but you know the the of that property has probably gone up something in the range of you know forty to fifty percent.
2: Have you still um, do you still hold it, or have you sold it? No, no, we
1: still we still hold that, and um, that, that's the tragedy of some of these uh, the fixed term ones. We you know we obviously we've got to honour the term, and and uh, look, occasionally, um, um, in fact, generally when we advise investors, we should hold it a little bit longer they almost unanimously support our decision. But, you know, they are fixed-term trust, Peter, and and at the end, at some point, they do get sold,
2: you
3: know. Hmm. Hmm. So part of your skill set, John, is to identify commercial properties that have, you know, either great prospects with a little bit of capital or potentially in a growth area or or great tenants and, and great leasing characteristics that are going to be revalued in time so that when the trust comes to the end after five or seven years, unit holders will get potentially some sort of capital gain. That's what you're trying to do?
1: That's what we're trying. You we never guarantee the capital return. It's like a share. Yeah, you know, it's, just, it's very similar. Good good equity managers looking for a, a, a company that's doing something that, you know, that other people aren't and got some competitive advantage. And, and the same in property. We're looking for a property where perhaps the area is changing, as you said, Peter, or perhaps the rent we think is a little bit low and, the building might have been run down a little bit, and uh, we we manage all our own property, so we've got over 50 property staff. So we, whether it's the elevators or the, the air conditioning, uh, the ventilation, we like to think you know that's where all the complaints come from. <laughs> we like to think we can do a very very good job of that, and and uh, that translates into being able to to lease on. You know we have very very low vacancy rates in our buildings because I think our tenants are quite happy,
2: and of course that 's the unlisted area, and that 's where if someone had you know, say twenty thousand to invest, they could put it into a property like that what is the smallest amount for an unlisted investment
1: look uh, I, I, the, the minimum amount for unlisted fifty thousand to be honest we have fifty thousand yeah um, but if people that 's really only a guideline if people want their children to invest or don't want to telephone us we you know we're we generally um waive that
2: yeah okay now talk to us about the listed side what happens on the listed side because people can buy shares in Centuria can't they
1: well so there's there's really the unlisted opportunities and, and really there's two or three of them a year um, uh, there's there's the, the, the head stock that, that that I run so that's Centuria Capital Limited and that's code C&I and that's really the, the, the company that owns all the managers of these, of these funds so that when we when we you know when we have a good uh, project and we make fees out of it um, the those fees come back into century capital so that that company's been just reported its results actually so last week uh you know if I look at what that company's doing at the moment, we're capitalized on uh, about four, over four hundred million um we uh We returned um, a dividend of just over eight cents. And our total shareholder return, that's a combination of our share price uh, and our our dividend, for the last four years has been, I think, starting uh, 22, 19, 24, and in in the financial year 18, 23%. So it's been a very steady growth in dividend and a very steady growth in total return. So I think we're doing something right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. And so... There's another part of the business as well, and that is the the bond side. Explain the history and what you do there.
1: Yes, yeah, so part of part of our business is, is uh, uh, they were called friendly society investment bonds, so we call them investment bonds just colloquially. Um, they 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 don't really necessarily invest much in property, and they're they're a very interesting vehicle actually. We've got about nine hundred million of these under management. Uh, incidentally, we've got about just under five billion under of assets un- and advance for the whole group. The investment bonds um, is really a, a, a quite old-fashioned structure that was around before superannuation, um, where people can um, go through in- invest in one of our investment bonds. Downstream, they can select uh, a specific asset class. It could be Australian shares, you know, a balanced or growth, and 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 the that if they hold the investment for ten years um it'll be taxed at the corporate rate so whatever the corporate rate at the time is less than impu- any imputation so a maximum tax rate of of, of thirty thirty cents mm. um anyway, and we because we, we get we get very keen when they talk there's talk of tax rate corporate tax rates going down yeah. So that that, that, that yeah
3: so critically, John, they're a tax-paid investment and uh, particularly attractive for um, people with uh, children and grandparents with children. It's a great way for you know, parents to effectively save for their children, isn't it?
1: Well, they're, they're, they're correct, because unlike superannuation, when you're linked to... And superannuation is an excellent investment, but where you're linked to certain age parameters and vesting dates... This is simply a financial calculation. If you invest your money ten years after you get that money, it's a very tax-effective way of saving for a goal. You know, and of course, education, retirement, and 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 two two really good ones. They've got very flexible estate planning benefits too, where you know that sometimes it can it can be very helpful to nominate beneficiaries, and the the bond falls outside the. Uh, the estate when, when you pass on. But let's not talk about that today.
2: Yeah, well, I guess one last question i, I you know, put to you is um, we're talking about some fears about property prices in the residential space. What's the outlook for property in your space?
1: I, I think with the, the commercial and industrial uh, values of, and, 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 and leasings have held up very, very well, but there's no question, uh, asset prices are, you know, really full. Um, we, we're finding it, you know, there really are two separate markets. The residential market tends to react with more uh, subject to whim, uh, and that's probably an oversimplification. But um, you know, we're predicting, you know, we're predicting some that there's going to be some stress in the apartment markets, and it's probably happening now. But we're not predicting wholesale. Um, uh house price collapses all over the country so the commercial and industrial market uh really we can't see any factors in the near term that um that, that are going to cause a breakdown the main one would be huge increases in interest rates and we are simply not uh, forecasting that and not many people are either
2: no exactly right now, john thanks for joining us and uh good luck with the year ahead
1: that, that thank you very much peter
2: Well, it's ad time, and don't forget, we've got the Switzer-listed investment conference coming up. That's the 11th of September in Brisbane, 12th of September in Melbourne, and the 13th of September in Sydney. And it's an opportunity for you to hear a, a whole lot of really successful fund managers who do a lot of things differently. Some will invest overseas, some will invest locally, some will invest in particular themes. And that's the kind of day where I think you'll learn a lot, and you might think to yourself, gee, that might be an interesting way of making a bit of money. So that's the listed investment conference. Again, 11 September in Brisbane, 12 September in Melbourne, and the 13th September in Sydney. If you want any more details, go to switzer.com.au and you'll see more information about these conferences. Okay, so I'm now going to be interviewing Charles Tarby, the founder of Sensory 21. I should add, just in case people are wondering why Paul Rickard is not making any noise during this interview, he has actually, like Elvis Presley, left the building. Charles, thanks for joining us. Okay, <laughs> Peter. What do you think of Paul Rickard? You do think of Elvis Presley, don't you? Oh,
4: well, I've seen him. Every time I look somewhere, I see him, and I don't know whether it's him or whether it's the, it's the energy of, of Elvis that <laughs> I, I see him quite often down at, down at Holt Street in
2: Surrey Hills. Yeah, that's right. Elvis used to hang nothing, out at Holt Street. Yes.
4: Sorry, you're not in a strange place. I'm talking about a professional
0: building. <laughs> yes, right. The News Corporation <laughs> building. Okay,
2: Charles, that's let's it, cut to the chase. It. Even though you are a very interesting man in your own right, people really only want to talk to you about property. Um, yeah. Spring is coming up. Um, and we've seen a lot of negative headlines, and you and I have often talked about how they've been exaggerated. What's what's the early vibe for spring sales?
4: Yeah, they're still pretty much the same. The agents I'm talking to, I spoke to a few this morning, are still feeling the pressure of the Royal Commission in the banking. Uh, one chap said to me today that he had six people interested in a property, and all six could not get financed. couldn't get across the line and we're talking about the an area west of sydney a good suburban area west of sydney where real estate prices are strong so i think that's going to factor into what happens because the clearance rates have been like sort of in the 50s now for some time and and this weekend they bottomed out at 56.7 and i'll come in lower before the week's out and when you compare it to this time last year 69.8 percent That's a significant difference.
2: Mm. But historically speaking, how bad is a 56% clearance rate, Charles?
4: I don't mind a 56% clearance rate, but but that expectation that's been around for some time, and I know there'll be a lot of people out there who really won't care, but the real estate industry itself is going through a massive change because of it. You see all these people came into the marketplace, especially those that came in the last four or five years, have, have experienced a, a boom. They, they wouldn't mm. know what it's like to be in a real estate market which is where we are now. Mm. So from, a, from an industry perspective there's a significant number of people that are leaving the industry and uh, um, that's a massive change. Uh, so the number of properties coming onto the market for auction has reduced by at least 20 to 30%. Mm. So there's a there is a big shift.
2: Are you starting to see that in some suburbs the this, either the slow growth in price or the fall in price is quite slow compared to other suburbs where the, the fall is quite pronounced?
4: Mm, yeah, it is, because as you know, Pete, some suburbs took off during the boom, and we, we you and I have always spoken about the suburbs in between suburbs mm. that you never hear about. And, and so the, everybody wants to go where it's all happening and people talk about hotspots and so on. So everybody seems to gravitate to those areas. And there seems to be uh, like dozens and dozens of different cycles, real estate cycles. In the one cycle, all at a different stage. Mm. Okay. All at a different stage. Yeah.
2: So, And I remember when we talked, say, three years ago, we were staggered at the price rise in, in the western suburbs of Sydney. Now we know there was yes, there's so. many areas that have been neglected for a long time, and of course the boom people started looking more closely. But because they had such a big uplift, does that make them vulnerable to a, a bigger down drop?
4: Yeah, far more vulnerable. Like the top end, the top end is usually the first place that the market changes. However, this time around, due to the lack of stock at the top end, hmm. that, that those auction clearance rates there are still fantastic. Gifts still got clearance rates of 70 to 80% in some of the up market areas. But I drove around parts of uh, Sydney showing some uh, people from the US around um, Sydney. And I went over the bridge, over to Milsons Point, over to Blue's Point. I couldn't find a single for sale sign. Mm. And we, we drove around for 30 minutes. Uh, so uh, there is a definitely, uh, definitely a, a different um, uh, marketplace in some of those areas. But on a national basis, everything seems to be coming backwards to a settling place. And I think that settling place, Peter, is when the interest rates climbed, or sorry, were reduced a year and a half to two years ago for economic purposes, hmm. the market boom, boomed a little bit more. It spurned the market. It got people really fired up. Hmm. And I think if we're talking about price changes, I think once we get back to what it was like a year and a half to two years ago, that that's where the settling period will be, and the market will start to move upwards from there.
2: Okay. Well, l- last week I had the great pleasure to do a economic presentation uh, to a group uh, of people who wanted to buy Tim Gurner's development in Collingwood, and, and I, I'm sure you've come across Gurner. He's a pretty yes. pretty good developer. <laughs> um, he was saying that there are a few de- developers in trouble in Melbourne, um, mm-hmm. and I kind of figured. It, was, it would be developers who are in the wrong areas. And are we, are we seeing that in, say, Sydney as well, that some developments have no problems being sold? And I'm thinking in Melbourne, anywhere around East Melbourne and Collingwood, I think probably sells really well. But other areas like, well, Docklands, I guess, in Melbourne, is it, does Sydney have those sorts of troubled areas for developers where we might see some great buying opportunities?
4: Yeah, I think it does. I, I watch um, with interest when I drive around Sydney. There are certain areas, uh, particularly the other day, I was on the Great Western Highway, out at Westmead uh, and Parramatta area, mm. and there's a number of apartment blocks that have gone up there. Where you're, you're going along the highway, there's there seemingly no shops, uh, no services, and then on the, on a corner. A large apartment complex coming up, and and you'd see a half a dozen of them if you're, as you're driving down there, and you think to yourself, these these sorts of sites are either going to sit still, covered up, or they'll be rushing them to finish them uh, right now because, and, and there are developers that have left, uh, like Paul, they've left the building as well, hmm. and yeah. uh, they they're selling off, they're selling off some of these sites because they can't afford to do. Anything with them are the banks, of course. Um, it's massive with the banks, Peter. Well, what's mm. going through uh, with the banks and Royal Commission? You'd hear it from your side. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're is so They are so different at the moment. Uh, and they could a nice have a set. serious
2: economic impact, couldn't they, Charles? They can. Mm. And, and somebody asked me
4: this morning, you know, well, you think, how long do you think this will go for? And I said, look, banks, in my view, don't do a lot of change. There's not a lot of change that occurs before the festive season, Mm. and we're not far off that. And I can't see anything dramatic. I can't see a bank raising interest rates or doing anything of that nature before uh, the festive season. Uh, So I think it's still going to be tough for quite some time. But it's the paperwork side. Equity nowadays does not have anywhere near the meaning that it used to have
2: years ago. So what you're saying is because of the Royal Commission, the banks have been forced to... Interrogates you, forensically interrogates you about your ability to repay the loan. That's taking time, and it's also knocking out some people who, who just don't look as convincing as, say, a public servant who's got a job for life and has a high income.
4: Yes, if you're on the edge, you are definitely going to be pushed off. Uh, and I, I think that's, that's very much the issue, whereas somebody, a bank might have taken on a loan before, they're far more cautious now. Mm. It has to change. I mean, banks have got to do business. Uh, yeah. They've got to keep turning the money over, so it has to change. But at this point in time, uh, there's a lot of cautiousness due to the fact that so many people have been brought into uh, th- this uh, Royal Commission in such a negative way.
2: Yeah, and so what's interesting, Charles, I'm sure you've heard this, that big companies like La Trobe and Pepper Money have been bought out by American outfits and they are actually making the loans that the banks are finding hard to, to make because the banks are controlled by APRA.
4: It's interesting because it's spawning a lot of other smaller organisations into different kinds of lending. Mm. Uh, there are organisations out there, literally with 100% lending capability, but of mm. course your interest rates are going to be a lot higher.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, one last question. So, yeah, we, we've we've talked about some of the challenges, namely loans and the, you know, the fact that house prices are coming off the boil. But it seems to me, and in fact, last week the statistics showed that first home buyers in the market are at six-year highs. It seems to me that 2019 is going to be the year for all those people who were complaining, say, a couple of years ago, that they'll never get into the housing market, That this is the right time to turn up to auctions. (laughs) And, and which state government is going to take credit for
4: this uh, <laughs> massive turnaround? Because the, that was a that was a big um, the big voice coming out of New South Wales, particularly about mm. you know assisting with affordability. They don't have to do anything. A royal commission gets called, everything changes, the market changes, the market takes care of itself yeah. eventually. Yeah. Like all of these cycles, if people let these cycles go through their normal pace, quite often we come out the other end okay. But there's always interference, and it seems to come in towards the end of the cycle, yep. and all of this new legislation is introduced at the wrong time.
2: So in many ways, Charles, I know you want Australians to be always buying property, but the the, the best investment advice has to be once you see a, a property boom going on for five, four or five years, it might be prudent just to wait for the market to come off the boil?
4: Yes, um, you always hear the story of real estate agents will always tell you what's the right time to buy. And my view is that there are better right times than others, Peter.
2: (laughs) Very good, Charles. As you get older, you become more honest by the minute. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Charles. Thank you. That's Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21. After the break, we'll be talking to Dr. Ross Walker about how your anger could be bad for your health, And then I would argue, bad for your wealth. And now, a word from our sponsors.
0: Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339. Or Google Switzer
2: Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. And uh, I should make the point that when that wonderful woman talks about the interest rate, that is the headline rate. But with us, we don't charge any extra fees. So our headline rate is the same as our comparison rate. So always remember that. Now, coming up now, I'm going to be talking to my old mate, cardiologist and doctor extraordinaire, Dr. Ross Walker. And we're going to be talking about anger, what can do to your health, and then I want to try and link it to your wealth. Dr. Ross Walker, thanks for joining us.
0: My pleasure, Pete.
2: Now, you're here because on our website we've got your latest video update, the, the greatest medical updates the world has ever seen. <laughs> And I say that with no exaggeration whatsoever. No, no, no now, not at all. Now, now, the latest one is about how anger could be bad for your health. So yep. explain the links.
0: Okay, well, one of the problems when we get angry is that we can release all of these dreadful chemicals into our body, especially adrenaline. Now, adrenaline is a is a very strong vasoconstrictor, which means it makes the arteries clamp down and also makes the heart work too hard as well. So you're doing a couple of things down, like your blood pressure's going up, your arteries are clamping down, your heart rate's pounding out of your body. And that's that puts a lot of trauma into the body. Now, Royal North Shore Hospital have done a very elegant study where they looked at people getting angry, and they found that within two hours of getting acutely angry with anyone, you increase your risk for a heart attack by eight times. So as I said on on the video, it's, it, there's often a reason to get angry, but there's no reason to let it really take over your body because it can cause you much more problems than it might cause the person you're getting angry at and they'd probably be happy about it.
2: Okay, so I, I, I've got to ask you this question, Ross. Yep. What's the incidence of heart attacks from men in particular at football games like an All Blacks Wallabies game?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. I'm, no, I'm. I'm glad you asked me that question. It's not actually been studied with the All Blacks Wallabies game. My strong advice to anyone is prevention. Don't go because we're yeah. going to get beaten.
2: So there's okay. <laughs> no it's point not...
0: actually. No point actually going mm. to the game. But they they did study the whole the whole um, concept of anxiety and stress and anger around the time of soccer World Cups. And I'm not talking yeah. about the recent one, but it has been studied. when when the world cup was on in germany and they found very similar thing to anger that the heart attack risk goes up about seven to eight times for another another good example of how stress can bring on heart attacks during 9-11 on the day that it happened not just in new york but all throughout america the rates of sudden cardiac death Mm. and heart attacks increased seven times on that day so it just shows you what stress can do to the body, whether it's even the excitement of something like watching your team win at the World Cup. And they found that the heart attack rate increased as they got closer to the semifinals. Wow. So whether it was any of those things, just stress has this incredible effect on people's health. And, uh, and a lot of people don't even count that as, as one of the major risk factors for heart disease. And I, I think stress is the great precipitant, Pete. It doesn't, doesn't by itself doesn't cause anything unless you have the risk factors as well.
2: And, and are you suggesting that stress is something that builds and eventually you have an anger outlet of some kind and that's when your heart that may well be challenged for other reasons mm. could just you know, do its fufu valve?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, see, what happens in in heart disease in itself is that if you imagine a a donut with a hole in the middle, that's where the blood's flowing. But in the wall, that's where the fat is building up. And it doesn't... And people get, get this all wrong. They think that the fat and the cholesterol slowly close over the arteries. Complete nonsense. What happens is the fat builds up in the wall without causing a blockage. It reaches a critical mass, and then suddenly it cracks open. So if you imagine getting angry with someone it's like squeezing a pimple that pimple being the fatty plaque in your wall which mm. makes it rupture internally and causing the heart attack.
2: I see. So I guess you know I, I know even though you don't look like the meditation type you know, you, <laughs> you look like a, a very normal I guess over 50 Australian male and yep. but you you are big on meditation like the mm. the hippies of the 70s. Oh, I've
0: been meditating every day. For the past 25 years and i've got to tell you pete i couldn't imagine a life without meditation to me it just enriches your life it's it's like nature's valium without any side effects so so instead of starting the day when you're woken up by an alarm clock i mean you think about the irony of that one our day starts with an alarm clock i wake up with a half an hour of meditation So when I wake up in the morning, that's the first thing I do, meditate for a half an hour. So I start the day in complete bliss. Mm. And why anyone wouldn't do this is just beyond me because it's been shown, a big study done in Circulation, one of the greatest heart journals in the world, showed that people who are regular meditators have a 50% reduction in cardiovascular disease. So unlike the anger causing an eight times higher risk of heart attack, we're talking about with something that once you've learned, you can practice for the rest of your life, it reduces your risk for heart disease by fifty percent. Why on earth wouldn't everyone do it?
2: But Ross, how do you get that message out? Now, clearly, you know the intelligent people that listen to the Switzer Money Show uh, are getting the benefit of this. But why isn't this a message that's sellable by, let's say, general practitioners who get to see most Australians?
1: Mm.
0: Well, there's a wonderful bumper sticker, Pete, that says the meek don't want it. And and this is, this is the problem, that even though this message has been out there, I used to say this on my radio show almost every week, people should be learning to meditate. And, and people say, oh, I haven't got the time. I mean, you're a long time dead. Yeah. To spend that half an hour every day off the merry-go-round of life is so incredibly good for your health, not just from reducing your heart disease risk, but the studies have also shown probably a similar reduction in the cancer risk. You think better, you feel better, you're, you're a better person in the way you interact with other people. You don't get as angry. I mean, I, I, I hardly get angry at all, I'm, and I'm not saying so, sometimes you, you, you fly off the handle for something, but but I'm saying that the feeling of anger is so much reduced if you're a regular meditator. It's just one thing you can do that keeps your life pretty worthwhile. Wow.
2: And I would say, because I always like to add your health tips to my wealth tips, that if you're having a much better sort of mental approach to life and you're more mm. relaxed, it's more likely that you're going to be more creative, more productive. Mm. Yep. Um, You'll have less time off work. There's all those yep. sort of things that have implications for the income. And, and also there's, the, the worst thing that can happen to you is if you get sick. And you're on sort of um, on benefits, right at at the sort of the best time of your life in the fifties mm. when you've got rid of your kids, you haven't got a mortgage, it's the pl- time you should be building your wealth, but that's when a lot of people end up being crook. And
0: and also when you have to, when you do have some significant illness, if you're a regular meditator and you've got a different attitude to life, you actually do so much better. From that, I've got to tell you, one of my best friends had to have bypass surgery. I went to see him the day after his bypass surgery, and I'd never seen anyone look as good as this guy did the day after his bypass surgery. And I think a lot of it's attitude. And if people have the right attitude, they're so much better off.
2: Ross, how could anyone not have a good attitude hanging out with Dr. Ross Walker?
0: (laughs) Well, that's what happens. All right, mate.
2: Thanks for joining us. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Yeah, that's Dr. Ross Walker, and if you want to see his little view on anger and how it can affect your health, have a look at switzer.com.au and uh, you'll benefit from it. That's the show for the day. Thanks for joining us. Next week we'll be looking at other big issues that will affect your hip pocket. I look forward to seeing you, uh, talking to you then. Button time. Button time. <laughs>